Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. I'm Mark Lane. Sean Martin, good to talk to you, buddy. Absolutely. I know uh, you're under some adverse weather conditions there in Arkansas. I can say the same from the cold and windy Austin, Texas right now. Yeah, I think this is more Jersey weather, honestly, because we've got the dry ice and the sleet and it's covered the roadways and it really kind of looks like snow out there. But because of the lack of I don't know, infrastructure, brine, whatever you want to call it. No one dare go on the roads. And if they do, it, it's immediately like Mad Max Thunderdome. I just pulled up my hometown on the weather app and I'm kind of stunned right now. Uh, at the time of this recording, it's 59 degrees, feels like 56, which is pretty good because I, I pulled it up the other day when I was at my in-person job and it was a little bit cold here, but really not bad at all. I mean, for morning time, it was more than fine, but yet somebody was still complaining it was cold. You know, someone that's lived in Texas their whole life. So I pulled out my hometown just to compare it. And the feels like temperature at that point, it was probably around seven in the morning, was 19 degrees. And my manager was like, yeah, that's call out of weather work. You couldn't get me to work in that weather. And I'm like, there's no reason to call out though. It's just cold. You know, there was no snow on the ground, nothing. So, you know, feels like 19. But right now it feels like 56, which is better than I have in Texas. So I'm a little jealous of you all back home in Jersey right now, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Definitely jealous about them. All right, let's get to some of these topics here. Where do you think that it went off the rails for Dallas? Some would say the Broncos game. I'm not so sure. Yeah, I wanted to go anywhere other than the Broncos game for this answer. But to me, you know, if you've read my work over at bloggingtheboys.com, I'm such a big fan of kind of the inner workings of the NFL game, the X's and O's as far as what are these coaches really doing on a play-to-play basis to try to gain an advantage where the margin between winning and losing is so small? And I know the Cowboys themselves came out and you know said vehemently that the Broncos game didn't prove that the offense got figured out, and then they went out the next week and beat the Falcons 43-3. to But you know, that's the story of this whole season is that you beat up on bad teams like the Atlanta Falcons. So scoring 40 points against them you know, isn't really an outlier. It doesn't really prove much when you went out and lost your first playoff game. So that Denver game, though, you know, I wouldn't go as far as they really did give you the blueprint, but it was the first sign of like, okay, maybe Kellen Moore's going to have to adjust a little bit faster. And then he never got there by the time the end of the season came around. And maybe, you know, Denver really did show something that the Cowboys could have to adapt to. And again, they weren't able to. So, you know, you hear about these things and sometimes they get blown out of proportion Everybody thought that the Chiefs couldn't figure out cover two earlier this year. It was like, man, why can't a Hall of Fame type quarterback and Pat Mahomes and a Hall of Fame coach like Andy Reid figure out cover two? And then sure enough, they did. But in the AFC Championship game, the Bengals gave them that luck again, and they kind of struggled against it. So you never know how these trends are going to change from week to week. And sometimes they're as simple as, 
like I said, you know, just throwing out his own coverage and forcing teams to string together plays against you. And, you know, the Cowboys didn't really do that in any of their big moments this season. And it's why you fell behind against the 49ers and had to play in a little bit of a comeback mode there. And it helped the offense a bit, but, you know, wasn't enough to get the win in that game. And so it felt a little bit like the Denver game where you got punched in the mouth. And, that, you know, unfortunately, you know, like the Denver game, you were able to come back from rattle off a couple more wins and go win this division, but the San Francisco game ended your season. So I would go all the way back to what the Broncos were able to do there to you at AT&T Stadium. And with the Broncos game, it was the blueprint, as people talk about. But I really think that you can find evidence of Dallas starting to struggle going back to the New England game because it, Dallas had played five games to that point. And even though they were 4-1 and one and everything was optimistic, they had enough tape at that point, and you're in week six, that Bill Belichick is able to diagnose how the Cowboys offense works what it does well, and what Belichick has always done, at least when he played the the Cowboys and we've been able to take a look at it up close. But one of the things that he's best at is taking away what an offense does best. That's why he would just shut down Jason Witten. He would devote resources to making sure that Witten was taken out of the action. And And I feel like you saw that in the Patriots game where there was an emphasis on shutting down the run. It was the lowest rushing yards total uh, for Dallas since week one when they played Tampa Bay. They only tallied 122 yards. I mean, before that, they, they had over 200 yards rushing in the past two games. Uh, they might have had a third one if in the Chargers game. But I think that when Belichick stopped the run and he put the emphasis on Dak in the passing attack to go win the game, I think that that's where the blueprint was starting to be formed. And as you talked about, Sean, with the Chiefs, they figured out how to beat cover two, but then the Bengals brought it back in the AFC Championship game I think by the time you get to December, teams have enough film to know what you do well and what you struggle with. And by the time Dallas got into the playoffs, it was very evident what they did well and what they had troubles with. And as the same as would be with all the playoff qualifiers, Dallas is not the outlier. It comes down to whether or not you can execute that plan. That's why with the um, with the Broncos blueprint and Dak was saying, I hope we see that every week and everything, that's because not everybody can execute that game plan. So go ahead and try it because in your, uh, you know, not inability to execute, then Dallas's offense is going to get chunk plays out of it. But I think going back to the New England game, you can see evidence of that blueprint being built and then capping off the overtime 
win with Dak Prescott's calf. I, you know, even though it was going into the bye week, I think that there was some evidence back then that uh, that it might not be Dallas's season. And CDLM, of course, caught the game-winning touchdown in overtime in New England to save that game and at least not make it a total low point for you know being able to not come away with the win there in Foxborough. But he caught two touchdowns that game. Then he went the next two weeks without a score at the Vikings, where, of course, Prescott did not start, and then the Broncos lost. He was shut out. Then in that meaningless loss, meaningless win against the Falcons, excuse me, he caught two touchdowns. He didn't catch another touchdown the rest of the season. So, you know, the New England game, you talk about being the start of something and not being able to get the ball to your number one receiver, which is such a talking point. You know, we we talked about that on our very first podcast. The only other time they consistently really did that for Lamb, at least in scoring range, was, you know, when they went and bore out another bad team like the Falcons, similar to how they did against NFC East opponents. Right, and that's that's what I'm saying is you can almost see it back then that there was something amiss. and But I do think that even though it was kind of starting to come off the rails for Dallas, they were still providing optimism. And it was in that Minnesota game, for example, because Cooper Rush, a backup quarterback, comes in and wins on the road in prime time uh, against the Vikings team that was, you know, desperate for wins too. They weren't exactly a pushover at that point in October. And that was also a win that really the Cowboys in 2019 wouldn't have done. The Cowboys in 2019, they just, they didn't have the, I don't know, the mental, uh, wherewithal, uh, you know, just stamina, um, You're sure right about mental. that. I mean, I remember the talking point from the week one loss at Tampa Bay that really kind of irked me was, you know, people watched another close loss for Dallas where they kind of didn't do enough to separate. And that's why, you know, a defending Super Bowl champion team knocked you off. And everybody was like, man, why is Mike McCarthy here? You know, we've seen Dallas lose this exact type of game plan before. You know, we've seen this under Garrett. We should be seeing something new. And my argument to that would be, did we hire Mike McCarthy to find new and creative ways to lose or is he here to win games? So, you know, I didn't make much of how that game in Tampa played out other than just one of a million game-winning drives with Tom Brady and you moved on. But you handled that, and then, like you said, later in the year, though, you were able to show against Minnesota that Mike McCarthy could win a game that the Cowboys were just never known to be able to do. I mean, it's unheard of in recent Cowboys history to have any success of a backup quarterback. So... Yeah, the fact they pulled that off, uh, you know, you talk about New England a couple of weeks before that being where it all started to fall, but it sure didn't feel that way after they went to Minnesota and got that win as well. Right, and, and that win showed that, uh, for a lack of a better term, that they weren't soft. Let me just put it that way. It showed that they uh, – uh, that was the game, I believe Dan Quinn referred to as get out the ice bags. It showed that they could go – it's in these, you know, 15 round fights uh, against teams. But schematically, there was just that I don't think ever recovered. And I, and I believe that it began in the New England game. And Dallas was just, you know, they had enough heart and grit and fortune, frankly, to make it out of Foxborough with a win. 
But when you go back and look, I think that that's where everything started to become problematic for Dallas. And unfortunately, the the hallmark of Dallas not being able to beat good teams began there, ironically, with beating a good team. And Bill Belichick has made a career, a Hall of Fame career at that, out of, you know, providing a way for other teams to potentially knock off the teams that he's either beaten or lost to. It doesn't truly matter because you can go into that tape and just get so much out of the way Bill Belichick prepares. And, of course, there's even still NFL teams that believe they can just hire one of Belichick's assistants and they'll get the same level of preparation and scheme, you know, disregarding not only the coaching talent that they just hired, but the players themselves that they have. You know, this wasn't a fantastic Patriots defense in years past, personnel-wise, and especially in the secondary. So that's why you were able to win those matchups and still get the ball to CeeDee Lamb and still go score 35 points in overtime. But, yeah, like you said, those things completely just faded away. I mean, you had a 19-9 loss at Arrowhead along the way there where, you know, Dan Quinn's defense had every right to be annoyed at the way the offense just did nothing that game. I know the offensive line was banged up, and that's a season-long story as well. But still, you know, it wasn't good enough in that game. And that was another good team that you got to cross off as a loss as opposed to a win. And you put all these bad teams in a win column with not a whole lot to show for it. Yeah. In some ways, they, you know, that's what's frustrating about the 2021 Cowboys was they did some good things to provide optimism and beating up on bad teams actually is what good teams are supposed to do. You don't play with your food, but by the same token, when they did face another uh, juggernaut, another team with a lot to play for, they just weren't, they didn't rise to the occasion. And, uh, and, and that ultimately is what did them in because they did face a team like that in San Francisco, who had been there before, who knew what it was like to play in a playoff game, and they weren't rattled, and that's what happened to Dallas. And now the Super Bowl's over. It's a new season. I mean, it's, you know, a new year, so to speak, even though new league year kicks off at 3 p.m. Central Time, March 16th. Be sure to text everyone Happy New Year when it does. As um, much as you try, that's but, not going to be a thing. Uh, well, you know, I, I tried. Uh, but Dallas now, they've got to retool. They've got to rebuild. And I one of the areas where, probably the only area where fans are going to be optimistic about it, is the NFL draft. Uh, and Dallas has the 24th overall pick. What are some, some uh, don'ts that Dallas needs to avoid at 24th overall? So I've been working through this class, and you know, just a personal note for me to do more, I need to cast a wider net on who I can get with this 24, because I feel like I have a couple guys that all the positions in need, but none that I really love, and we don't know how the board is going to fall. You know, Inevitably, some of these guys are going to be gone anyway, so I definitely need a wider net in terms of guys I would truly feel comfortable taking at 24. But to me, I'm not thrilled about this second wave of defensive end talent. You know, I've been looking at some of the recent draft history, and you know, you can go as far back as 2017 when they took C.D. Lamb and, you know, the overwhelming mock draft pick by the end there was uh, Chase on the defensive end from LSU who really did nothing 
and has done nothing so far with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I look at it as, you know, a defensive end group where it's just so hard to get that immediate impact from almost any rookie. And I know you got a lot out of Parsons this year from a hybrid pass rush slash linebacker role, but a defensive end could be a really strong need on this roster if you don't bring back Randy Gregory, which we all think that the Cowboys are going to seriously prioritize in free agency. And all the rumblings about Demarcus Lawrence. So if you lose both of them, and of course, Dorrance Armstrong could go get paid somewhere else, you know, you might need one of these guys at 24, but I just don't see, at least yet, uh, a defensive end that I can really expect to make enough of a day one impact for what this roster is looking for. You know, you might get a guy you develop, Dan Quinn might stick around long enough to develop him, which would be great, but you need a guy that's immediately going to help either this offense or this defense, and I don't think it's coming from this edge class, even though edge is going to be a roster need no matter how you slice it. So would it be fair to say that Dallas, they cannot basically draft for need, just draft out of anxiety at 24? Because the anxiety is going to be they need a pass rusher, but because of that, don't get sucked into we have to take a pass rush, a pass rusher at 24. Yeah, I mean, we know that's kind of the MO in terms of the lines that they'll give us about preparing for the draft. They're going to tell us, uh, oh, all these free agents we just signed, which are bottom of the barrel guys, are all going to fill holes like they did last year. And that way we can get excited about drafting the best player available, which the hope should be that that is what they do still. But, you know, you look up and down this roster, and I've been doing that each week at Bargain the Boys. And there's very few positions where I don't think you can even say it's not a need to some extent. They're not all needs that sort of can be addressed at 24, of course. But, you know, besides the obvious ones like quarterback and a few other spots, I don't think there's many positions where you could, you couldn't talk your way into somebody being the pick at that spot for 24 if it was the right prospect and if it was a guy that fell uh, and you feel really good about him. Does that include quarterback or running back, though? No, I mean that. Yeah, both of those would be you'd be you yeah, would yeah. be start. I, I said quarterback, and then obviously, yeah, running backs another one. Even though you know the, the Elliott conversation is a whole other podcast, but yeah, this team isn't going to go for for so many reasons. This team isn't going to go uh, running back there at twenty four. And we have an article up at bloggingtheboys.com uh, on Daniel Jeremiah, his second mock draft. He has Dallas taking. Nicobe Dean at from Georgia at 24th overall. How would you feel with a linebacker at 24th overall? I like the thought of it. I'm still working through some of these linebackers to see if there's one that I really like. I've watched Devin Lloyd from Utah. I think we've all watched Nicobe Dean just because of how good Georgia's defense was and going to the national championship and beating Alabama. He was, of course, a huge part of that. So everybody's at least a little bit familiar with what he brought to that national championship team. And there's a lot of other athletic linebackers in this thing. We know Dan Quinn has a certain type of player he looks for there. I do think that that is, that is one of those spots, like I'm saying, where you can really add a guy that makes that immediate day one impact because of some versatility. If you do get the right guy, like a Devin Lloyd or somebody that can pass for us and stay in the field for coverage downs and things like that, you know, the hope is that, uh, Jabril Cox can kind of be that guy, and then you would have Cox, Parsons, and a few other depth options to make it less of a need at 24. But 
yeah, I think the board could easily fall in a position where the best player to make an immediate impact at 24 is one of these hybrid-type linebackers. Now, at least in Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, Tyler Linden, Linderbaum from Iowa, he goes at 26 overall. What about if Dallas took interior line help with a late first-round pick? Is that it? Is that a good oh, idea? Oh, yes. I mean, any or... any mock draft that has Linderbaum falling past the Cowboys, I am officially a hater of. I will not. I will be rejecting all mock drafts that pass up Tyrell Linderbaum for the Cowboys. I've seen plenty of them that have him going way before as well. So it's kind of interesting to me, at least early on here, to, to hear that his projection might not be as solid around the league in terms of where he's going to go. But yeah, interior offensive line, I think, to hit back on that theme of getting an immediate impact is one of the best positions where you can do it for the Cowboys. You still have, you may not have the coaches in place that, you know, were here when you drafted the all pros that you built this line around the first time, the past couple of seasons on Dak's rookie contract, but some of the scouting structure and, and type of prowess is in place. So you go get yourself another center, go get yourself a new starter left guard and just kind of routine maintenance on what was once the most important position on this team and getting back to that, I think it just helped him in so many ways, revitalizing the run game, protecting Dak Prescott, making him a more confident player again. You're talking about all of that. If you hit on the right guard, like a Kenyon Green from Texas A&M, or a player like that. Yeah, and at least in Jeremiah's mock draft, Green goes way early, somewhere in the top 10, which was – Interesting because he's usually falling down late in the first round, but you would take an interior offensive lineman to clarify, not just any old offensive lineman like Tyler Smith from Tulsa, who's at least in the mock draft, uh, going down to number 29 overall to the Dolphins. So it's got to be an interior offensive lineman, not just any offensive lineman, even though there's questions with Tyron Smith and his durability. I just feel like for this team, tackle is enough of like a fringe need. It's a it's a luxury need almost. I mean, you're going to need one this season. It's just inevitable that either Smith, Collins, or both is going to miss some time, and you, know, you better be ready for that. But I just think, you know, even if this team has a great free agency and gets us all incredibly hyped uh, for what's to come based on who they sign, I just think that the situation to tackle doesn't warrant having to go get a new guy in here at 24. You saw enough from Terrence Steele to be that backup, at least I did. And, you know, you better expect that you maybe get something out of Josh Ball. You spent a, a mid-round pick on him. So you have him in-house. You have some other depth options there. And I think you just keep going with what you have at tackle and maybe add a guy in the second or third round. But, you know, to start off your draft of a tackle, free agency would have to be something that, you know, simply the Cowboys just don't do. Uh, this time around. What about if you start off your draft with a trade and Dallas trades back again uh, from their position in the first round? Would you be open to that? Yeah, I'm always open to, you know, moving around. You know, there's some people to get close-minded with it because they like to write mock drafts and it's hard to make trades into mock drafts or, you know, whatever the reason might be. But, you know, this team's always open to making a move around. And, you know, like we're going to talk about here, and I have an article coming on the way, about this as well. Yeah, you, know, you didn't get a whole lot of depth out of your 21 class. You know, Mika Parsons stole the show, and we get that. And, you know, it's awesome that you're going to have him to build a defense around. All right, but what else 
There's this class we're going to be able to hang its hat on. There's really not much right now. You know, Kelvin Joseph better be a starter this year. You really messed up, you know, that situation by getting wiped out at cornerback in the first round. So besides that, you don't have those guys right now. And if you can go back and add even more talent in this year's draft to kind of help make up for that, while you still develop these guys like Simi Fajoko and Josh Ball and Farniak and all of them, then that could be a great option for Dallas to uh, to take a look at. If they were to trade back, uh, I would like to see them pick up some picks for the future as opposed to try to invest entirely in this draft, kind of like what they did in 2007 when they picked up a uh, an extra first-round pick in their dealings with the Cleveland Browns to help them get Brady Quinn. But uh, I don't think they just need to trade to trade. Uh, but you know that Jerry and Steven will be working the phones regardless. They may even trade trade to move up what if they did that well i mean there, there are some rumblings about you know some of these big names and kind of falling a little bit i don't i haven't seen any of them falling outside the range that would really make a whole lot of sense for you know the cowboys to give up what they'd have to give up to get up there and take you know a guy like Kayvon thibodeau or another edge rusher like that you know i know a couple segments ago i wasn't for a first round edge edge rusher obviously thibodeau changes that but I just don't see, at least as of now, anybody sliding to the point where the Cowboys would make a whole lot of sense to go give up some capital and go get a guy. But they definitely need immediate impact out of this draft. You need a win-now type of draft. You didn't have that at all last year. And thankfully, you did make up for it with some free agents. But I don't think the trust level was all that high that they can do it again with free agencies. So it's definitely a critical draft for Will McClay and all these guys in the front office. And if Will McClay locks onto a guy that – you know it's not going to be there at 24, but you can go up into the teens and get, and uh, I'm sure that's what they'll do. Yeah, and if Thibodeau were to fall to Dallas, I mean, that would be just one of those C.D. Lamb-type situations. At 24? What's, what's the range where you're, like, starting to make those phone calls? I would start making the phone calls at 16. Yeah, yeah that's where I'm at. I, I would do, yeah. 12 to 16, I mean, 12, it might be a little too high to get to. I have to look at what teams are actually going ahead of you. I know the Eagles and the Giants both have two picks before you come up, so that's going to make Jerry a little bit restless, you would think, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, well, just, I mean, even if you're not Jerry Jones, just the fact that your rivals are stocked in the first round this year, if they do it right, they could really shift the balance of power for the NFC East okay. for the rest of the decade. Get to watch him get but um, yeah, yeah. Or you could be like Washington who they got the Ricky Williams trade in 99 and did nothing with it. They should have had at least an NFC championship game appearance in the 2000s. They had nothing to show for it. So, um, but that's for, that's for another show. That's for, the NFC East mixtape with RJ Ochoa and Brandon Lee Gowton that you can hear on Wednesdays. We'll just stick to what we know, which is the Cowboys and the, their off-season plans. But to mix it up a little bit, Sean, uh, in talking about the draft and everything, have you ever had a pet cat that you s scouted and you watched all throughout the draft process? 
and then he ended up with the Cowboys, whether being taken or signed as a priority free agent. So there's a couple of guys that, you know, you, you look at this draft history and you're like obviously hesitant to stick your neck out for in retrospect for a guy that, you know, either didn't even make this roster, or, you know, never really contributed much. But I know a lot of Cowboys fans got really hyped for Bradley and they in the 2020 class to edge rusher out of Utah who never realized his potential here. But, you know, that was a guy that I thought he got drafted in a fair position. But I just think that I was right there with a lot of other Cowboys fans and draft scouts alike where you, know, you saw some of those physical traits and the motor and really thought he could be better than where he got drafted. And our number one was Donovan Wilson, actually, the safety out of Texas A&M. Wilson is obviously still projected to be a starter because there's not really anybody else <laughs> to, uh, to take snaps at safety right now, just looking at the roster, three free agencies. So Wilson has been filling those series as a, as a six-round pick from 2019. But my biggest one has to be uh, Cedric Wilson, receiver who's hitting free agency this season, and maybe another team sees him in the same light that I saw him. I couldn't believe he was still on the board in the 2018 class um, as a six-round pick. And you know, I just saw a lot of explosiveness with him, a lot of vertical ability, the ability to separate late in the down. And it's a big moment. He's he's shown all of that with the Cowboys. So that's a guy that you're either going to want back or you're going to want to find a guy that kind of has those similar traits in this year's class of free agency. But I was definitely high on Cedric Wilson. If you're going to do any draft work as a Cowboys fan, you better watch some Boise State prospects. And he was a guy I took a look at and definitely had higher than the sixth round. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I've got uh, a couple. Um, well, a few, actually. One was actually Donovan Wilson. I was at his pro day for Texas A&M in 2019, and I talked with Greg Jackson, who was the safeties coach for the Cowboys at the time, about Donovan Wilson. Uh, but he didn't practice. I mean, he he didn't go that day fully because he was recovering, I believe, from a sports hernia um, injury. And I nevertheless talked with Greg Jackson about him and what do you think and so forth. And the, and I I wrote at the time that, you know, he, he'd make sense in the fifth round. And then as the draft continues in 2019, day three, sixth round, they picked Donovan Wilson. And that was, that was a nice one. Uh, back in 2017, I was at the University of Arkansas Pro Day and Dan Skipper, who was the offensive tackle, it was 6'10". Yeah, yeah. yeah um, he was talking with one of the Cowboys scouts. And so I said after the draft that Dallas, you know, might have some interest in him as a priority free agent. And then it happened. Uh, then another one, this is kind of cool, when I was working in Texarkana, not really a, like a pet cat per se, 
Um, but I'll tell you a little more about Lucas Walker, the little brother of Michael Walker later on in the podcast. I, I, I goofed it up, but, uh, that's for later on in the podcast. I got it. Just, you know, the Lucas Walker mania. Waka Waka. There was a, there, but, there was a uh, time that, when I followed Oregon football pretty closely. So when you drafted Jalen Jelks with your last pick in 2019, I thought that was a guy who maybe could stick as a as a nice, nice depth piece at defensive end, but he kind of just got lost in a number of crunch here and never really got that opportunity with the Cowboys. Yeah, and those un, uh, late-round undrafted guys, they have such a small margin of error compared to the first and second-round guys that they've got to be a plus every day and consistently in order to avoid seeing the Turk. Absolutely. You know, the Cowboys have their, their things that they like to look at with the draft. They like the big school prospects. They like college production. They like seeing it be done on the biggest stage. Cause even though they haven't won in 26 years, they still believe that, you know, they play on the biggest stage. So you put all that together and, you, know, you bring some of these, whether it's a small school guy or even a big school guy, that was a late round pick in, and uh, it makes it makes for an uphill battle sometimes for him. Can you imagine going from practicing where your indoor is uh, basically a steel building, and then you go from that to the star in Frisco? Uh, it's just got to be such a culture shock, but. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about the draft, but in retrospect, um, this 2021 draft that they had, is there more pressure on this class to come alive, or does Dallas have to nail it in 2022 with just an impactful draft class that can play right out of the box, kind of like the 2016 class? Well, I think ideally you you want both. I mean, you don't want to sit on your hands if any of these guys who really didn't play much meaningful football in 21 and say that they're going to do just that in 22. So ideally, you know, coaches will tell you all the time they want to constantly have guys that can push former players on their roster and just create that culture of constantly having people fight for their jobs in this thing. And, you know, I know that's a talking point around the Cowboys coaching staff as well. Like how many of these guys actually feel like they're coaching with their back to the wall. Well, maybe if you draft some, you know, immediate starters one through seven this year, you can start to see that because you just didn't last year. I mean, Parsons is going to be a starter. Joseph, they think, is ready to be a starter. Or Diggy Zua, there's a lot of potential there. Golston, I like what I saw. I think there's definitely a lot more potential there for him to be both an inside and outside rusher and uh, play a lot of snaps there for your defensive line. Nason Wright was – a core special teams guy. So, you know, good on John Fossil getting something out of him. But, and that was a guy that we all thought kind of was drafted to fit Dan Quinn's mold. And Quinn never really found much of a use for him, at least in year one. And then after that, it's almost all virtual redshirt years. You know, Jabril Cox, the unfortunate ACL injury in October, he's certainly not going to just be handed the keys to, uh, you know, go take one of these starting jobs. The Cowboys are looking at this year's linebackers and, they're looking at, you know, re-signing a hybrid-type player like Javon Coase is a potential priority. So you'll find something for Cox to do. Josh Ball was a true redshirt, didn't play at all, developing as a tackle there. Simi Fajoko has a long way to go at wide receiver, which is not a position where you really expected that you needed, you know, some new faces. You thought you had your guys. 
but now you don't. Quentin Bohanna as your one tech you know, certainly could be solid there, but or you could upgrade as well. You know, I don't think there's very many positions, like I said earlier, where you can't always consider an upgrade as early as the 24th overall pick. Israel uh, Mukiwama, defensive back, I think will show a little bit more in year two, and then Matt Farniak got some work on the interior offensive line against the Eagles, which is another position we talked about addressing earlier in the draft, which would keep Farniak as a uh, you know as a backup type of player, which I think is all you can expect from a seventh round pick. Yeah, and I think that Parsons, with how well he did, it kind of takes all of the eval. It makes the evaluation easy to say, "Oh, Dallas had an A plus draft because Michael Parsons won Defensive Rookie of the Year." But when, again, you look at the depth of the twenty twenty one class. You've just got to wonder if they're going to produce. I and it was Jabril Cox that was so unfortunate that he had that ACL injury because I feel like he was someone that could have benefited from extra snaps and just playing in the seventeen game season uh, and just having all of that extra time on the field and growing in the game, kind of like a, as you saw Parsons do, but. I think back to the 05 draft, for example. You had DeMarcus Ware, who was the signature piece of that 05 draft, but you also had, again, a twin first-round pick in Marcus Spears, but you had Kevin Burnett in the second round. They picked up Jay Ratliff. They picked up Chris Canty in that draft, and Marion Barber. And then these guys were the... They were the foundation, the role players for your successful 06, 07, and 09 seasons. And that's what needs to happen with this particular class is they've got to get up to speed quickly because with the resources Dallas has in the 22 draft, I don't know that you can get fortunate enough again to just find a pro bowler in that particular draft class. So these guys have got to get up to speed quickly, and I think they may be able to do that. They'll see where they're at once off-season workouts begin in April. Yeah, I mean, I think the only guy from last year's class that didn't already make an impact, so basically anybody but Parsons, that you have to hand snaps to is Kelvin Joseph. Everybody else, you could easily make a case where you know they're sitting at home watching the draft and calling up their position coach saying, hey, coach, why did we just take you know this guy? Don't you see me doing more and you know kind of filling that role in my second year here? So you know, the only guy excluded on that is Joseph, but if something weird happens in all the picks one through 24 and you know, you're looking at a situation where Chauncey Gardner, uh, any of these cornerbacks are your best player available, then you know, that might not even be true for Joseph. But I do think always sitting here today that the plan is for Joseph to – definitely just step right into a starting cornerback role with Trayvon Diggs. But everybody else, uh, you know, should be on high alert when it comes to the Cowboys really trying to press for immediate starters in free agency and the draft. And by that, we, of course, mostly mean the draft. Uh, mostly the draft. But as Stephen Jones says, talent evaluation is a 365-day-a-year uh, yes. job. And Oh, yeah, yeah. So with that being said, how do you evaluate Anthony Hitchens being cut 
by the Kansas City Chiefs, would you go back to Anthony Hitchens? That's an interesting one. I think, uh, you know, I don't want to catch heat for saying that I wouldn't, but I think it can be justified by, you know, Cowboys fans just wanting a familiar name more so than wanting, you know, a player that's really ready to contribute. And I know the Rams just won a Super Bowl, you know, with a guy like Eric Weddle back there at safety who they legitimately just signed off of, you know, his couch and he stepped in and played good football and, you know, the whole term, uh, you need mercenaries on your team to win is kind of going around and, you know, Hitchens could be that type of guy. So I respect all that. I don't know if the cap space is here for this year's Cowboys team to make those types of signings. I think they have to prioritize if they are going to be able to bring in any outside players bringing in, you know, legitimate three down starters on defense. And I don't know if Hitchens has it anymore. Of course, he had a career year as soon as he left Dallas. And it's not the first we've seen of that. And I do do think that there still could be a role where he helps his team. But, you know, I think you look at the Dan Quinn model of linebackers where you better be able to run, turn, and, you know, play a little bit in coverage and show some sideline reins. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what you're looking for with a guy like Kitchens who – wouldn't have many familiar faces around the star anyway. So could it happen based on how his market develops, you know, in the second and third waves where Dallas usually makes their signings anyway, sure. But I don't necessarily think that the Cowboys are going to give him much thought to uh, have to go right back to Anthony Hitchens. Yeah, it would have to be a situation where there's just such personnel influx and issues kind of like when they brought in Brandon Carr on Mike on Mike McCarthy's uh first year and Mike Nolan was the defensive coordinator and Brandon Carr who really had experience more so with um it was Rod Marinelli's system they bring him in you know for the 2020 team playing that hybrid scheme so it would it would almost have to be a situation like that I I don't know but if they did bring Anthony Hitchens back I I would want to know because RJ Ochoa and I asked him at SportsCon in 2017 the inaugural it was to go in FC I remember that time yeah we asked him uh it might have been RJ that asked him what his cheat meal was, and, he, and Anthony Hitchens said chicken tenders, and we have to know if it's still chicken tenders. We can get some good ones here, of course, at barbecue places around Texas and uh, Raising Cane's down here as well. So. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, Sean, as uh, we wrap up this podcast, let's go ahead and just talk about easier subjects that uh, don't exactly – raise the anxiety level and the agita like the draft and free agency and cap space. Let me ask you this, Sean, who is the closest hometown cowboy Dallas Cowboy that you've known or followed and being from New Jersey, I'm sure you've got plenty to pick from. Yeah, Historically, there's certainly some big names, but to me, nobody comes close to Miles Austin. He was playing on the team as a wide receiver, of course, kind of right when I was starting to get into the team and understand football more. So he played his college days at Monmouth University. Somewhere I have a bobblehead of him in the Monmouth uniform, uh, which is pretty cool. And Monmouth is kind of the only big uh, college in the in the Jersey Shore area. There's, of course, Rutgers up in north central Jersey where, you know, they put plenty of players in the NFL and the Patriots are kind of known for picking up Rutgers guys with, Bel- with the Belichick ties there. But the Cowboys have Myers Austin from Monmouth. He was 
on the receiving end for a lot of big Tony Romo throws, and I became such a big Romo fan. And seeing Austin make plays for him was always a, a joy for not only me, but even fans of other teams uh, in New Jersey that just like to see a guy from Monmouth making plays on the biggest stage for the Cowboys, and who can forget his huge game at Arrowhead against the Chiefs in the throwback uniforms. And also his game-winning touchdown catch he had against the Philadelphia Eagles on November the 8th, 2009 on Sunday Night Football. That was a, that was a big catch as well, and it was in basically the same region where he grew up too. And he stuck around the franchise for a while. I'm not sure what he's up to these days, but I know he was like a scouting assistant for a couple of years and was on the sidelines for games and was just trying to do anything he could to uh, stay connected to professional football. And the Cowboys gave him an outlet to do that. He's in the Monmouth University Hall of Fame. And the Hawks football program has really taken a step up. I mean, not a lot of people follow FBS football. You know, Rutgers doesn't even draw a huge uh, audience in New Jersey, but they're trying to change that with Greg Ciano. But just as Rutgers is trying to get back in the spotlight, you know, pour one out for uh, FBS Monmouth. They, uh, they've been making a run in some of these playoff uh, brackets the last couple of years, and that's been really cool to see. Yeah, who knows? They may produce their own Miles Austin soon enough. Another one. Uh, for me, the closest hometown cowboy that I've known or followed, it would have to be either Felix Jones or Darren McFadden. Because Darren McFadden played high school football uh, about two hours away in Little Rock. But Felix Jones played high school football two hours away at Booker T. Washington in Tulsa. And then they both end up at the University of Arkansas, which is about 45 minutes from where I grew up. So I watched their uh, dominance in the 06 and 07 seasons and then you had some Peyton Hillis too but and then Felix ends up with the Cowboys in 08 so it's I would and then Darren McFadden comes in 2015 but I would have to say it's Felix Jones that's the closest hometown Cowboy in terms of how many years he was with the franchise now I mentioned Lucas Walker earlier who was who is Michael Walker his little brother. He, when I was working in Texarkana at a sports radio station there, Lucas Waka was an undrafted free agent from the, uh, he just graduated from Wyoming and Dallas signed him as an undrafted free agent in the 2017 rookie mini camp. And that was a big deal. And they put him on, the front cover of the regional magazine in the Texarkana area. And it was such a, a big deal. And, you know, like usually happens with undrafted free agents, uh, the Turk got him by the time it was the end of preseason, but nonetheless, Wacomania in 2017 with, uh, you know, Texarkana kid, which is in the Cowboys secondary TV market playing for the Dallas Cowboys, it was kind of a big deal. And there's still a very small minority of Cowboys fans that are convinced that the Joneses and this organization give priority to Arkansas players in, in the draft, even though Jones still might be the last pick from Arkansas, am I right? Yeah, he is. And honestly, I've had my brother um, say, 
that Jerry Jones doesn't do enough for Arkansas and that it, you know, it's egregious because he flew his helicopter in AT&T Stadium to watch him lose to a, to watch him beat Texas A&M. So. Yeah, yeah, but it's oh well, the Packers they would pick someone up from Wisconsin. I mean, you know, it's all, but it's like, yeah, that's true. But you got to consider Dallas is in Texas and in the heart of the big, I mean, the offices for the big 12 are there in Irving. So that's who their regional teams are that they're going to bring in and get for Dallas day and all this kind of stuff. Not necessarily someone from the owner's alma mater. It was a good year for Arkansas football. They certainly had some big wins and, uh, you know, re-energized that fan base a bit. And football is so, such a big part of the culture in these southern states. So that was great to see. But you know, beyond that, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, their players get priority with any one NFL franchise or the other. And you know, the Cowboys have shown that they're not afraid to look almost anywhere for talent. So if it's Arkansas, great. If not, you know, you got to trust what Will McClay and these guys are doing. Exactly, and you know that Will McClay and company are keenly aware, though, of Traylon Burks. And before we finish up, let me ask you this. If Dallas took Traylon Burks oh, at 24th oh, overall... No, I'm, I'm throwing look, stuff at the TV if he's to pick a 24. You know, I think he's a nice little player, but again, I don't see any any way that you know a receiver makes that type of impact, especially one that I think has a lot of uh, grooming in his game needed when it comes to Burks and his ability to get in and out of routes and separate and stem and do all of these things. So, uh, you know, I do like the player a lot. I would be rooting for him probably wherever he goes, or one of those types of things. Unless he's one of those Eagles or Giants double picks before you come up on the clock. I know they both already addressed receiver in the draft pretty recently, but yeah, I don't see any way that Burks could uh, could be a logical pick at twenty four. All right. Well then. I like with getting uh happy new year on uh, the new league year. I tried. So again, you know, I'll be rooting for him as long as, he does, as long as he doesn't end up in the NFC East. Uh, you know, he's got a chance to be a fun player. And, you know, if it's in Dallas in the second round, uh, I get behind that. Yeah. I, I think Dak would get behind that too. Sean, where can people follow you on Twitter? Sean Martin NFL. We make it nice and easy to interact with the blog and the boys readers and everybody out there. Definitely appreciate the uh, you know the questions and the comments and everything that we get over there. So keep them coming. And you can follow me on Twitter at the real Mark Lane. You can find Hidden Yardage on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and at Blog and the Boys dot com sean it's always good to to be on the podcast with you uh we're filling in for the great tom ryle and roy white of the riled up podcast so we're gonna come back and we'll have uh the fourth episode of our podcast on monday yeah i feel like we made it for our pilot and we got the green light to a uh, to step on the gas here because we got two episodes coming out this week and next so plenty of hidden yardage to go around yeah we're gonna find all of the hidden yardage (laughs) so there it is